Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 or should I say hi, diddly-ho, and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in Lions, right here on the Believe Podcast Network. And I am your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Cavanaugh, dressed as Ned Flanders, because this is a special Halloween episode of the Believe in Lions podcast. And we will be celebrating again on Monday night. And of course, I say we because I am joined once again by the governor, the Icebox, the 63rd overall pick in the 1987 NFL Draft, a three-time Pro Bowler, a former All-Pro, and if that resume is not enough, throw in 32 and a half career sacks to boot. I am joined once again by Jerry Reckonball. How's it going, Jerry? Everything's good. How you doing, Captain? Oh, I am great as always. It's always a good time talking to my friend Jerry Ball. You know, how how can it be bad? Hey, well, listen, I appreciate having the opportunity to join you again and talk a little Lions football. And hopefully this week going to be a special week for us. We'll get our chance to get that first win. I'm hoping so. I'm thinking so. I truly believe that the Lions are going to win this weekend on Halloween. And so are you getting ready for Halloween? Does Jerry go in uh, trick-or-treating with the family? Well, actually, I'm not going trick-or-treating, but we are going to the pumpkin patch tomorrow. Now, my daughter has already told me that they're going to dress up in some aspects of, of football. And so I'm I'm looking to my granddaughter's going to be a cheerleader. I think my grandson's going to be a football player, and they're going to dress up as referees. That's going to be how her family is. I don't know what my other daughter and, and grandson are going to do, but I will tell you, they're going to get some candy because Pop Pop going to go buy plenty of candy to make sure that they eat some candy. <laughs> <laughs> but shh, their parents don't want to know that. <laughs> and of course the grandkids will be sharing with pop pop because you gotta share candy right exactly one at least one well two two what's jerry's balls favorite candy man actually my favorite candy is a jordan almond hmm. and then after that it would probably be boston baked beans but it's too much sugar and stuff, and then if I was just eating a chocolate, it would be a turtle, you know, the little chocolates with the nuts in it. You know, I, I'm a nuts guy. The turtles are great, and you know what else is great? BetOnline.ag. Going to be spending some money over at BetOnline this weekend with the Lions getting their first win. 
You know, I, I see the line was, I think it's around three, three and a half, something like that. I, I, I am going to definitely take my, my bet to bet online, and I'm also going to place a bet on SMU. You know, we're playing good ball in college. You know, that's my college and stuff. And, hey, you know, no better place than bet online to place my bet and stuff. So for college and pro. Go Lions, go Mustangs, and go to betonline.ag, a new web interface for the start of basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B L E A V 50 to receive your welcome bonus. For basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And before we start this game, we've got Tom Brady throwing 600 touchdown passes and the ball goes to a fan. Now, ultimately, the fan gives the ball back. And in exchange, he gets two jerseys from Tom and a helmet. He gets a Mike Evans signed jersey and his game worn cleats, a 1K credit to the Bucks team store, two season tickets for this year and next, and a Bitcoin, which is about $58,000 at the time of research. So some thought he could get about half a million, 500K for the ball. Was it worth returning it? And does Jerry Ball have any memorabilia that he would exchange for season tickets to the Bucks? Well, I, I would tell you this. I, I think the fan did an honorable thing in, in one, giving the ball back there at at the stadium. You know, most would have probably take taken it home, you know, because it is a keepsake, you know, for what it is. Now, as it relates to what the value is, you know, that's subject to the value of the person that's willing to pay, you know. Um for Tom Brady, six hundred, you know, touchdown ball. That's a that's a monumental number, you know. So having that ball for him was worth that for him, you know. For me, I would have said, "Hey, well, look, check this out. Just put it in your window, and I drive by and look at it every now and then, <laughs> <laughs> every night before bed." Yeah, well, not every night, but here, here and now. Any time that I wanted to reminisce on a monumental, you know, mark, I'll come peep in your window and see if it's still there. <laughs> I like that idea. Great, uh, great plan. And so Tom Brady, a lot of people think he is the best NFL player. ESPN was talking about it today. Dan Orlovsky, former Lions quarterback, who we all remember running out the back of the end zone. But we won't talk about that. He thinks that Tom Brady's the best player in NFL history. Marcus Spears, the former Cowboys lineman, says Lawrence Taylor. Who does Jerry Ball say as the best player in NFL history? You know, again, that's all subject to 
perception of you know what you're looking at you know is it you know the position they played is it the era they played i i would say that tom brady has amassed the most decorated career than anyone else now whether or not he's the best player is it really to me fair to even debate because of the simple fact that it's not his physical attributes that you're comparing to a Barry Sanders, you know, or Reggie White, you know, guys that in their own right could be the very best at their position that could even say had a better career than Tom as it relates to play, but not in winning championships. You know, Tom Brady has set himself apart, you know, and, and and I will tell you what he did in Tampa is probably the most impressive thing that I've seen in the modern era, you know, because, you know, I admired Steve Young for being able to take Joe Montana's team and win with it. You, you know why? Because normally another quarterback can't just step in and keep a team, you know, with the momentum. You, you're looking at, you know, a scenario where here's a guy that actually goes to a team that really isn't a contender, meaning top 14. And when he gets on the team, they become a contender because he's on the team. And then his play demonstrated that he was really a cut above because he took an average team and made them better just in his presence, just in his playmaking ability. And in playmaking ability, I'm talking about the decision of where he's throwing the ball, not just that he can throw the ball. He's making good decisions. He's not hurting the team. He's giving the offense every chance to move forward, and he's putting the team always in the best position or he throws the ball away. That is a good quarterback, and, and and that's a great quarterback, actually. You know, and that's what sep separates him apart. Now, you look at an Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's talent, man. You know, you can't dismiss that. Now, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson is talented, but I don't think that from an arm standpoint, he has the most talented arm. I think as a complete package, his cerebral aspects of it, in terms of his IQ of the game, he understands his scheme. He knows where to be in space and, and where to be when he's getting pressure. And he always looks to make a play downfield. That separates him in his play. So I think Tom Brady has done that. But to say that he's the greatest football player, that's real hard to say. Just depends on what you're looking for. Is it the physicality? Is it the stats? You know, is it? you know, touchdowns, you know. I would say certain things about certain players that are considered the best at their positions, and I could point to other players that I would say better than them. And then it would create an argument. But it wasn't a matter of what they did in their career from the stats. We're talking about who I feel would be the better receiver, who's the better receiver. I personally feel Randy Moss is better than Jerry Rice. Who? Yeah, but we're not talking about what Jerry Rice did in football. I'm 
putting talent against talent direct. I'm not talking about Jerry Rice playing with the 49ers, winning Super Bowls versus Randy Moss not winning the Super Bowl. That's not what I'm comparing. I'm comparing the athletic ability, the potential of what I can do with Randy Moss on the football field, running certain routes and things that Jerry Rice can't do. Like Jerry Rice can't run 4-3. You know what I mean? That's a physical thing that is evident. That has nothing to do with whether or not he's a great football player. He just can't run a 4-3. And that would be one of the things that I would give Randy Moss an edge. And you would too. Because we're only talking about that. Now, when you start bringing the, how Jerry played and what he did and things like that, then that's where, okay, in those areas, yes, Jerry Rice was definitely better. You know? So, and that's how you would have to look at Brady. But anyway, that's long win, but it's, that's it's my the, take. It's the idea of comparing the resume all the championships, the accolades versus the pure on-field talent. And as a well, f- physical specimen, Randy Moss is just, was just incredible. Yeah, well, it, but it, it, let's, let's even take it off football. You know, the, the constant berate of LeBron and Michael Jordan, who's the greatest of all time? Kareem. I like it. Bill Russell. Because in every standard that everybody want to say Jordan got six rings, Bill Russell got, what, 13? I think so, yeah. All right. Kareem then is the most decorated basketball player ever from college all the way to pro. So why wouldn't he be the greatest of all time? He's won every award, and he's won a more than anyone. And the hook shot. Like, he created his own shot in basketball. Come on. So, so in that aspect, again, when you're debating who's the greatest of all time, it's about what you're using as the benchmark. And so on that note, I do have one question. Randy Moss versus Calvin Johnson. Can you separate the talent, the physical mm-hmm. ability as a receiver? Because they are two of the... Now, that's tough. They are two of the freakiest players I have ever seen. That that is a more that is tough. That's tough because they are both those type of players where they're separated, they long range, they both can run down the routes downfield. You know, man, don't make me. I, I don't want to say that's okay. I won't. <laughs> and push uh, both, both looks and both of them are friends. You know, and and I know Randy better than Calvin. But Calvin married uh, Bruce McNaughton's daughter, Brittany, who was raised with my daughters. We lived directly across the street from each other, right? Yeah, so so that's family. So we're never going to go against family, you know? So I'm going to be quiet. We'll, we'll leave it on that note. Just two of the freakiest to ever do it at the wide receiver yeah. position. One final question I do have before we move to the Lions is Tom Brady. We talk about how great he is, how moving to Tampa, that proved how elite he is. What about him versus Bill Belichick? Is that Were they a product of each other? Or do we say Tom Brady has the edge right now? Well, listen, that... I think is probably a a moot point 
because Tom Brady growth took place under Bill Belichick's tutelage. And it's no way else to say that because that is a fact. Now, Tom outgrew some of the um, he outgrew being a 40-year-old man some of the regimen that Bill would put on a 22-year-old. And you know all about and, that. And, and I think that that's where Bill lacked a little bit of growth in how he dealt with Tom. Is that, you know, I, I know for a fact, and I know Bill is very smart because even when he was in his first job, uh, when he would have the team run sprints, he would have Micah, Dean, Perry, and I, they would bring a stationary bicycle on the field, and we would have to ride the bike while the team would be running sprints. And the reason why he was doing that for us is because we were big guys and he didn't want to run our legs from under us. So he would let us ride the bike for conditioning because we would practice hard. And then he knew he would have the team running sprints, but he would want us to get the conditioning so he would take care of us. So I think that in, in those regards, Bill understands how to take care of players. But I don't think that Bill knew how to separate their success from his regimen. That, hey, I might need to give him more respect. Jimmy Johnson probably said it best when the Cowboys was making a run. And he said, listen, we're going to treat everybody fair, but everybody is not the same. Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Larry Allen going to get a different treatment from Jerry Jones than you are. Rightfully so, though. <laughs> They've earned it. <laughs> They've certainly earned it. Yeah, definitely. And talking about earning it, we'll get to the Lions versus the Eagles now. Rookie head coaches on both sides. We've got Dan Campbell, the kneecap-biting MCDC Motor City Dan Campbell versus Nick Sirianni, the guy who wants to water the grass and grow the garden, cultivate it. Which head coach have you been more impressed with? Because for me, it's pretty easily Dan Campbell, and I think Sirianni might be a little outmatched. You know, here's where, you know... I kind of have mixed messages in my own personal way that I can hear a guy like Coach Campbell versus hearing a guy like Sirianni, right? One is philosophy-driven, Sirianni, and Coach Campbell is raw, raw. You know, like, let's go get it. Let's knock down the wall, you know, that type of thing. I think that... In my style of play, I, I, people would think that I would be more associated with knock down the wall, gung ho approach, but really I'm more cerebral in my approach. So Sirianni, 
you know, depending on what he's saying and how he's correlating what he's saying to the play, I might be able to get some understanding. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I first came to the Lions, Darrell Raw, Rogers from Michigan State, that was the head coach of Michigan State, was the head coach of the Lions. And he would get up and he would, you know, quote Socrates and some other, you know, philosophical statements and stuff. And it was a disconnect, you know, because we didn't see any of that conquering spirit that he was displaying or saying in language in his physical. In other words, you talking about being a warrior, but we don't see you coach as a warrior. So how do I how do I associate my spirit with something you're telling me that you're not? And even if you don't have the physical attributes to do it, your spirit of a man says I have that, you know, that fight in me, that I'm gonna fight you to the end. He didn't possess that. So it don't correlate. But then you bring along Frank Gans. And I'm playing for the Detroit Lions. And Wayne Fonts is the head coach. And Wayne Fonts has a philosophical approach, but he has a, a philosophical approach that's inclusive, where he's not trying to talk over your head and he's talking to you on some regular level shit. Excuse my language. Then Frank Gans comes along and Wayne gives his whole football team to the special team coach. And every player on the team has to go to special team, whether or not you on it or not, because the lessons that he was teaching in the special team meeting were life lessons. And the coach felt that we needed it all here, so he put us all in that room. And it's guys like me that were, on, that were pro bowlers that was volunteering to play on special team now. But he would teach and he would talk to us about military tactics. He would talk to us about Genghis Khan and the Manga Dai and how the training and the technical experts that they became as horsemen, that when they would ride their horse in full speed, they learned how to shoot their arrows with the hoofs off the ground while the horse would not disrupt the flow of the arrow. And he would teach and talk to us because he wanted us to be drilled that way. So he's telling the story, but he's showing it to us on film. He's showing us the things in, in action and in spirit that would make us take that visual lesson that he's given us and apply it to how we're going to approach practice, apply it to how we're going to approach the game. So there is a way that that actually can resonate. I think with Sirianni, you know, what I'm hearing in Philadelphia is that his youth, they don't connect with it. And Coach Campbell, in his team, they look at him as being rah-rah. Now, he has to be careful about his rah-rah because eventually, if he doesn't put forth, I guess you would say, an improvement, then he will start looking like 
he's a WWE promoter. Because you're talking to an audience that sees what's happening on the field, but you want us to believe whether or not it's fake or not. <laughs> Dan the Brain Campbell, Bobby Heenan yeah. impersonator. Well, all I'm just saying is that I believe he has a passion, but it has to it has to show up, and and, and not just show up with him. The passion has to transfer to the team. What happened with Coach Gans and the way that he was teaching us, he was teaching us a belief system that transformed the team. And that's the actual foundation that that he put there for the Lions that from 1991, 90, 91 and forward, when they were competitive, that's the foundation that that team had. And it all starts with special teams. It started with special team, but it, it started with the message. Of course. The message and whether or not the guys believed it. If they were bought into it is one way that they say now. You know, the guys buying into the system, the scheme, you know, are you buying into what the coaches are asking you to do? In in Philadelphia, that's the problem with Fletcher Clots, and we'll talk about that. He's not bought in on what they're trying to do. But He's so yeah, it seems like there's a lot of players that haven't fully bought in. And you were talking on the fourth and John show earlier tonight about they hadn't, the team hadn't really bought into Jalen Hurts. They finally traded Joe Flacco, but even then, there's still rumors that Jalen Hurts could be benched for Gardner Minshew, the guy they traded yep. from, from Jacksonville. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like, can this, should this even be a conversation about Jalen Hurts getting benched? Listen, for me, for the last four or five weeks, I've really, even before the season started, they were already throwing dirt on, on Jalen in terms of like he was dead on arrival. And because they are in a transition with a new coach, new system and all that, it seems that you would give this guy a better, a better shot. But the reality is that, you know, when you're not winning, then the quarterback is always going to have to answer for it. And because every team has to look to make their team better, you should always be looking for a quarterback and see what your option. But because Jalen is who he is and what he has done at the college level and the potential of what he can do, this guy can play football. They should be giving him more support and they shouldn't have as many clouds over his head. Trading Flacco, remove one. But this constant talk from Deshaun Watson to Tua, the, to Russell Wilson, always a quarterback name is being mentioned with Philadelphia. And if I was he as a quarterback, that would be disappointing. I just don't understand it. He's performed. He's a lot of the time. He's the only reason they're even in games because he's going full hero ball, but it's not good enough for Philadelphia, apparently. And that's probably part of the reason why they're having trouble buying into it. They also shipped out Zach Ertz, one of the veterans from the team, scored the winning touchdown, I believe, in the Super Bowl. That's a big deal, getting rid of a veteran like that. Goes to the Cardinals, has a touchdown on National Tight Ends Day. So when is National Nose Tackles Day? We need a day for that. And should the Eagles be selling like they have been with Zach Ertz and Joe Flacco and getting rid of these guys? 
Well, I, I think every day, every day should be uh, a nose guard day. You know, we're very needy. We need <laughs> reinforcement. We need to be patted on the back. I mean, so every day, you know, come get my chin up. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you need that, if you you're needy, I am more than happy to pat you on the back. That's why I do the whole introduction. Make Jerry look good. Well, 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 maybe needy ain't the word that I should put forward. Um, I, I'll come up with something for it a little <laughs> later. <laughs> but but you were saying that you know the the Eagles as a team and Jalen Hurt, you know, should be able to. Yeah, I guess you would say come in and play some competitive ball with them at the helm. But really, I, I look at their team and the way that their media handles them. Whereas it's very hard for Philadelphia not to always have turmoil. Every year is always turmoil, and a lot of it comes from their media. I think the coach has to really stay out of the media. I think Fletcher Cox needs to stay out of the media right now, and they need to build on the intern on the, as, an, as a team internally, not externally. And that's one of the things, even outside of the Philadelphia Eagles, but just in the city of Philly itself, Jason Kelsey, the center, is talking about 76ers Ben Simmons because the fans, he doesn't feel appreciated by the fans of Philadelphia. And Kelsey calls him out and basically says, play better and they'll love you here if you put your heart and soul into it. The city will love you. Kind of sounds like Detroit in a way. Well, yes. I mean, Philadelphia, Detroit, are similar towns, you know, blue collar town, you know, just people that work hard, you know, on, on for their living and, and, and love their sports. Very passionate about sports. Detroit and Philadelphia are two great sports teams, you know, sports cities. I mean, they, they rule for all their teams, you know, and I think some of what the, the Kelsey was saying to the Ben Simmons part is correct, but then this gentleman has said that he has some mental issues. So let him get himself together first. Ball stuff. And I'm sure the Philadelphia media isn't helping with some of those mental health issues with the the pressure that they put on you. Oh, man, listen, Philadelphia media is notorious. Believe that. And the fans are as well in terms of I've, I've heard that they had to build a jail cell and a court system in the stadium to because it was just clogging up the legal system with all the game day fights. Hey, listen, you, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the Raiders. I would say during my career, those were the stadiums that there was always fights, you know, and what happens, you know, we, we're in the midst of the game and all of a sudden you'll see a whole platoon of officers running up into one section and you see the people just tumbling and fighting as high as the stadium and as low and they fight in all sections. So it's those in the cheap seats and the ones that's in the best seats. They all fight in Philadelphia. That's for sure. And don't have on no cowboy jersey or no giant jersey in Philadelphia. They definitely going to fight you. They ever try to fight the players? 
No, fans. I'm talking about fans. No, sorry. Have the, the fans ever tried to fight you, the players? No, but they talk a lot of noise. Oh, man. <laughs> Throw a couple things. Hey. Oh, man, listen, you know, of course, a guy like me, you know, because I I got a physique that is, you know, envied of the world, you know, there are always some fat-ass jokes. <laughs> you know, I mean, they call you everything from the Pillsbury Doughboy to the Michigan Tire Man and stuff. And, you know, you have a sense of humor. You talk a little back and stuff, you know. So I remember one time, uh, it wasn't in Philadelphia, but it was, it was the Jets. Uh, this one guy that's always, you know, pictured, he has the beer cans on his stuff and the fire helmet, and he has on the Jets uh, fire helmet. So he's talking to me, I mean, a full quarter, and I'm like, man, this guy here is wearing me up. They're like, damn, ball, go sit down there, man. He won't shut up. So I turn around. By this time, the whole section of the in that in that section is paying attention to he and I going back back and forth. So I stand up and said, "I'm tired of you. I'm gonna send somebody up there to kick your ass." And I tell him that, <laughs> and he's like, "Go ahead. Who you gonna bring? Who you gonna bring?" And I'm looking up and down the sideline, and I see this little kid with a little ball. That's one of the ball boys. And I act like I'm going to the big man. And then I walk over to the kid and I turn him around and point up there. Had the whole section laughing. <laughs> because, you know. So, you know, I took something that was this distraction and I made it comical. It was an involvement between the fan and me on the field. And I was in hostile territory. So, you know. <laughs> Kill him with kindness and win over the opposing fans. Oh, like yeah. only Jerry Ball can do. Oh, I don't know. I know. They didn't send me no hot dog or nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that that happens in New York. Mark Sanchez eating the hot dogs on the sideline. Really? Listen, I, I had a teammate do that. They cut his ass the next day. Yeah, Mark Sanchez got flamed pretty hard for it. He claimed it was a blood sugar issue that he had and uh, not a good look. You ever eat, get to eat on the sideline? No Skittles no. like Marshawn Lynch? No, I, I really couldn't eat before a game. You know, I would just drink water and take a couple of supplements here and there. But for the most part, I couldn't play on the stomach with, with food and, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. And so back to the Eagles and trading these veterans. Does that send a message to the younger players in the locker room that the team's kind of packing it in, so to speak? Is there ever a point where you know you're not in contention or you stop believing? And how does that resonate throughout a locker room? Well, first of all, none of the players are going to quit. I mean, you're mm -hmm. talking about they're guys that have right? Well, they're professionals, but also guys that have egos. Nobody wants to go out there and get their butts kicked. So guys are going to go out there and play. Now, whether or not the actual coaches can get them prepared at the level that is going to be required to play in the second half of the season, meaning they're going to have to play much better much faster, less mistakes than they made in these first eight games. Now, when you have transitions in any teams that are struggling, like the Lions and the Eagles are struggling, you're going to have where each team is going to have to try to make improvement anywhere that they can. Mm -hmm. 
The thing that I don't like when you're talking about the Eagles and the Lions right now is that their fans are talking about their draft picks and who they should pick. And Man, they hadn't even figured out what they need this year. Their biggest issues with both of these teams right now is forming an identity that they can build on. The only key person that I see, like on the offensive side, for both teams, I can only name one player that I think they need to build around. With Philadelphia, it's Hurts, and with the Lions, it's Swift. Now, I'm not saying it's not Jared Goff. He's already got the position. It's for him to keep the position. But when you have talk about productivity, you want players that are producing. So the transition of moving players in and out, a guy might be a good player, but he's not producing in the system. So we might need to make a change. So that should always be on one, the player's mind that until the season ends, whether or not playoffs, championships, or whatever, that every week every team is looking to replace you, period. And seeing who can hang and who is going to be built around for the future. Like you said, Swift. The better fit. Who's going to be the better fit? Like you said, Swift, we know is that dude. Everyone else, TJ Hawkinson, right. he's played well, but even him not taking that leap we've hoped for. Yeah, you know, with him, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> honestly, and I'll say this, and, and this is no disrespect to you, young man, at all, but I think his physique and his hair gets him a lot of attention. Yeah. Okay. And because of that, it's like, man, if he could turn all that on, you know, it's like he walks around like a Greek god, and they like, man, if that guy can play like Atlas, you know? And that's kind of the pressure that comes with that. But he knows that. Trust me, he's living in his own image. He has to look in the mirror himself. He knows that he's going to have to step his game up. He's made plays here and there, but in terms of, you know, he being, you know, with the receivers being out, he should be the marquee guy. That's what the expectation was, is that it would give them a better chance of making him that feature tight end that they want him to be. And instead, he's kind of being a, uh just a piece of the offense, not the focal point like we were hoping. Exactly. Right. So that when they did put better receivers around him, now you got a triple threat. You got your tight end that runs route as well as Gonzalez, whereas Gonzalez was a tight end, but your ass had to cover him. A receiver in a tight end's body. Exactly. Essentially. And so this is going to be a reunion for quite a few people this weekend. The Lions right guard, Hal Vitae, he played for the Eagles for years. His O-line coach, Hank Fraley, played for the Eagles. Running back coach, Deuce Staley, played and coached for the Eagles. He ended up leaving when he was passed over for the job by Nick Sirianni. So there's probably some hard feelings there. And then special teams coach, Dave Phipp, Dave Phipp who had a great game last week on special teams. He was with the Eagles from 2013 to 2020. So does this kind of cause something in terms of do coaches know secrets from their old team or is that just a made up concept in the media? It's only when you are leaving a team in the recent time, 
you know, some of those coaches that played in the 12, 13, that's not none of what they learned in 12 and 13 is applicable to what's going on right now. New team, new system, uh, totally different. You know, every team each year, you can even have the same personnel, but every year a team will have to reestablish who they're going to be. So definitely over that type of span. Now, when you're going in and you play in a team, there are some some what you would say character or cultural things that you know when what happens when you go into you know the Cleveland Browns stadium you got the dog pound you know if you're on the dog pound end you're gonna catch this you know when you're going into uh the old Meadowlands and stuff you knew what end you wanted to kick the ball from because of how the winds blew in that stadium same with Cincinnati. So those are become cultural icon things that a coach will know. Like, hey, we don't want to, you know, in a night game, we don't want the ball on this side because our receivers, this light that's in the south end of the end zone actually would shine in their eyes. Those are the type of things that you you learn. You know, because those are hidden defects that you only know by, hey, this is our stadium. So this is what we know, or this is how our fans respond. Or, you know, you look at like you go to Kansas City and everybody in the city is wearing red, you know, and that's a cultural thing. But it's one that transcends to the game because on Friday, everybody's wearing red, you know, and that's how they rally around. But that gives the players the understanding why they're going through their lives on Fridays and Saturdays and spending a little time with their family, everybody wearing red is supporting them. So that's giving you that extra. So players that have played in Philadelphia or played in Detroit, they know some of the, they know the cycle of what happens in the community around these games and stuff. So that, that, that they'll know, but strategy very hard unless they was on that team in the last two years. Is there any tips that Jerry Ball picked up from Detroit leading up to the game? Well, the only tip that I would say that really matters is that, one, they get the ball in Swift's hand as many times as they can. (laughs) And that, you know, the defensive line try to keep Jalen Hurt contained and don't let him get outside to throw downfield. That's what's going to help him. Those are some pretty good tips. And those are the kind of tips that the Lions are getting from their coaches, which a lot of former players, which is something that I don't know if it's ever happened before. We've got Dan Campbell. He was a tight end in the NFL. Anthony Lynn played running back. Running back coach Deuce Staley played running back. QB coach Mark Brunel played quarterback. Wide receiver coach Antoine randall was a wide receiver in the NFL. Aaron Glenn was a corner. Outside linebacker coach Kelvin Shepard was an outside linebacker. Like These guys all have played. Does that make you a better coach inherently, or is that something that we're still figuring out? That Well, let me say this. A player that has played and had some success on the field has a perspective that's very hard to, to gain. Um, there are coaches that, from scheme like Belichick, that have 
taken football and mastered the strategy and the scheme of placement of alignment, aiming, angles, strategies, and stuff like that, that's a different skill set in it, I feel. Now, when you have a guy that has played the game and has the cerebral ability of being able to teach the game technically, teach the scheme like Aaron Glenn, and be able to really tell the guy, hey, this is what you're going to see. This is what it looks like. This is what you should feel. This is the angle. This is how I played it. This is how I gave myself it. That's a conversation that a lot of coaches don't be able to to transfer is that perspective of knowing that this coach has done it. So he's not asking me to do something that is a far stretch. So that's the, I think that's the advantage that they have with all of those coaches that you name, because the one thing about it, if they listen to those coaches and they all get their schemes together, they will be better players. Even if they don't fit that scheme especially with the talent level on the coaching staff. None of them were slouches when they were playing in the league at all, all talented players. And so that may be part of the reason that the team has bought in a little bit more than in the Matt Patricia era era, because they can relate a little bit better. Well, you know, here's again, Matt Patricia, Dan Campbell, both of them are coming from systems that are friendly to them, okay? And what that mean, what I mean by that is Patricia came, but he was also fostered in by a patriot loyalist, let's say it like that, a guy that came from that tree. All of what Campbell and those guys have put together are guys that are similar, but more importantly, guys that they know know what they're asking for. So that's, you know, that's ideal. You know, so even, you know, so comparing Matt to it's all about the system. What what this has been agreed to at the top? What does the general manager and personnel people understand about what the coach is looking for to to make that scheme work? They're the ones that have to go find them and sign them. Coach gonna tell them this is what I need. This is what I want. You know. And then the coaches like the Deuce Daly and all those and. Aaron Glenn is going to say, hey, we need a guy that can do this. We need a guy that can do this. You know, uh, we don't need a guy that bulky and stuff. We need a guy that got a little bit more range. And, you know, it just depends on what's being asked. And so with some of those things, those different personality types, you, you could not find two more opposite people in Dan Campbell and Matt Patricia. And so that relationship yeah. with Darius Slay, the former Detroit Lion, it frayed pretty quickly between him and Matt Patricia slay comes back to Detroit and he's quoted as saying he didn't have much respect for Patricia as a person. So there was clearly some beef there. They, some issues behind the scenes. 
They trade him. Now Slay is coming back. He says it's a place. It's almost a second home kind of sounds like you and that he's still a big part of the community. So with Patricia gone, does that take some of the venom out of this return for Darius Slay or is it still extra motivation? I think it's extra motivation because you're playing against your former team. Some of the players are there, but more importantly, I think as a professional, you're going to always come and put your best foot forward. You know, I think Slay has always been very professional in the way that he's approached his game with Detroit and, and still today. I think, though, because it is familiar territory form, that there's going to be some things that are familiar to him that he'll be a little bit more relaxed because it is, you know, somewhere he's played. It is a community that he's lived in. Well, and he says he's most excited to hit up Captain Jay's Fish and Chicken, which has a seasoning called Crack, which apparently is sugar, lemon, pepper, and salt for your chicken. Then you toss some hot sauce (laughs) on it. I'm drooling just reading about it. Have you ever been to Captain Jay's or where does Jerry go for his pregame meal or not pregame? You said you don't eat before. Where do you go in Detroit? Well, listen, you know, two of my favorite spots and stuff, you know, one is New Parthenon, which is down in Greektown. You know, I hit them up for them lamb chops and things like that. And then I like fish bones, fish bones. It's like one of the type restaurants that you get down here in, in in the Texas, Louisiana region with the fried fish, seafood platters, the jambalaya, the boudin, you know, shrimp creole, all that good stuff like that. I've actually been to Fishbones and I agree. It is phenomenal. I went before my first NFL game. It was okay. Kurt Warner and the Cardinals with Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald, Beanie Wells back when they were just off oh, the Super yeah. Bowl. And we had fish bones before. It was a great day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That was a, a great day. So make, make sure you stop in at fish bones next time you're in. Or uh, what was it? Parthenon? New Parthenon. New Parthenon. Which is, which is right around the corners in Greek town. This you know, Greek restaurant. Make sure you hit up both of those when you go to Detroit. I wonder where Fletcher Cox is going to be hitting up in Detroit, or maybe he stays in Detroit because it sounds like he's not too happy. He's been in the conversation as the best DT outside of Aaron Donald. He and Cam Hayward are two of those guys fighting for it. What do you think about Fletcher Cox right now? Well, I, I think Fletcher is in one of them inflection points where he has to understand where he is in his career. You know, he has made some comments as it relates to the scheme and what they're asking him to do is unlike the things that he's been, you know, doing in the past, which is mostly rushing the passion and trying to get a sack. Uh, they're asking him to be a, more of a team scheme player then a sack master, and he doesn't really like that. But then there's also understanding the scheme and then understanding also that as you get older, you know, you may not be able to do some of those things. But he feels that he's going to be, you know, a pass rusher and and it's stopping him from being able to do what he do best. And so is that an alignment thing? Because he's played a lot of three tech previously. And can you kind of go into some of the differences between a one technique, a three technique, and a five technique? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, first, the one technique is lined up 
over the center and he's actually on the shoulder pad, that would be considered the one. All right. And then the three technique would be the right. If you lined up in front of a guard, it would actually be your left, but it would be his right shoulder. The edge would be considered the three. That's the numbering system. And the five is the outside shoulder of the tackle. And that goes both directions along the line. So one is over the center, three is over the guard, five is over the tackle. Now, when they move you from a three, a three technique normally doesn't do anything but hit that gap, meaning try to run through the gap, and they are just trying to stop him from making penetration. That's primary. He's not really being asked to do much. But that one technique, the guy that's over the center, He's being asked to not allow that center to have a free release and go up to the linebacker, but he still has gap control. So he's kind of playing what's called a 34 and a 4-1-4-2-4-3 defense at the same time. Gap control with a man control over the center. So what they're asking Fletcher to do is be more of a man control player, and he is the secondary support versus being the primary. So that's the biggest difference in what he's being asked to do and the alignment and technique that's over the three, which is over the guard, is different than what you use over the center. Learning so much. And one final question on that. Was one technique your favorite because you knew you could control or were you, did you enjoy getting to move to the three tech every once in a while? Or were you like Every now and then I love being in the three technique because I knew I would get a one-on-one block. But oh, what that's made terrifying. Me, yeah, but what, that, what made me exceptional is how well I played with two and three men blocking me at the same time. You know, so... If I played that three technique, I, you know, I, I believe I could have definitely had a hundred plus sacks. That's the damn shit. You know, I had 30, 30 something sacks being double teamed. If I'm being blocked one on one, shit, 13 years, I can get them down a hundred times. I can do that. A, a one-on-one block with Jerry Ball just sounds like a bad time for a guy. Well, hey, I mean, that's, uh, it sounds bad. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible time. But thank you for filling us in on that. And one final question on Fletcher Cox and the defensive tackles of today in general. Is he your DT2 after Aaron Donald, or who would you put in that conversation? Hmm. He's in my top five. I don't know if he's second. I still like uh, Sue. Mm-hmm. Um, what about Sue's teammate, Vita Vea, the new nose guard? I, I like him, but the ruling's still out on, on some of them. You got to see if you got stand power. You know, it's okay to play one or two years, get off. No, show me that you can do that eight years, nine years. Then you starting to get to get that type of respect. Gotcha, gotcha. So Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, anyone else you want to put up there right now before we move on? 
Nah, I can't think of nobody right off. Fair enough. And so the Eagles have historically built through the defensive line and the offensive line. It's what brought them to the Super Bowl. They had a dominant pass rush, an elite offensive line. And it seems like the Lions are trying to follow that model. Is that how you build a roster minus a QB? And does that allow you to get away with weaker play from your linebackers by building through the trenches? Well, you got to be able to win the line of scrimmage. You either dominate it from a defensive line standpoint, or you be able to, or you want to be able to run the ball and move the offense because of your offensive line. Now, every team has to assess their team, and sometimes you might have, you know, three of the pieces on the line that you need, and you need two more. Might not be able to get them in the draft. Might have to find it through free agency. Might have to find it through a trade or whatever. So those are the type of things that are always being assessed by the personnel people. I think when you're coming in and it's, you know, college is a little looser with it, whereas in the pros it's not as loose where you come in and you say, hey, I want this guy for my quarterback. This is my quarterback. You know, in the pros, you know, you come in when you're drafting a quarterback, you, you really not changing the quarterback out like you can do in college. You're typically going to have to work with what you got until you can find better. That's how it is at the pro level. And then, but that's every position. You know, like I said, there's a board in every team's meeting room personnel and by position. They have they players that they think are the top players by position rank. In in your room, you might have me as number three. In somebody else's room, they might have me as number 35. But it's also based on how they're matching my ability with their scheme. This person is the 35th, you know, most likely person to fit. Whereas the person that's the number one or two, these are the two people that we feel would fit our system best but they might be on another team. And the guy that they have might be number 17 on their own board that they feel these other 16 people are better. So when you talk about building the team, that's where it starts. What do we have to work with? What type of talent do we have in a comparable aspect of looking across everybody's team, everybody's board, everybody's position? That's how you build. And when you build a team like that with a dominant D-line, does that kind of let the linebackers make life easier for them? And then you don't need, say, a, a Ray Lewis, a Luke Keekley, those kinds of elite it's linebackers? No, no. You want you you wanna have you wanna have Bruce Smith, Reggie White, Jerry Ball, John Randall, Warren Sapp on the line. Then you want Ray Lewis, Junior Seau, Mike Singletary, Lawrence Taylor at linebackers. And then that quarterback, you want Deion Sanders, Charles Woodson, uh, Kenny Easley, Roy Woodson, and um, Ronnie Lott in the DB. What a terrifying you get what I'm saying? Yeah, you want the best player always, no matter what. No matter what. That defense, though, that you just listed off. My goodness, I am. That's given me nightmares, and I don't even play quarterback. Hey, listen, get that hat put on you, buddy. 
put a big lick on after throwing an interception like you did back in the day to Brett Favre and the and the likes. Yes, I remember. And so, uh, moving on to the back to DeAndre Swift just for a second. He is the eighth player in NFL history to hit 700 rushing, 15 touchdowns and 700 receiving yards he joins running back barry sanders and billy sims as the only players in team history to post at least 1500 yards from scrimmage and 15 tds through 20 games does any of that matter when the team is not performing the way it should be like it's nice but does that even get talked about by the team it's a non-factor the only thing that matters is that he remains consistent, that he keeps his play at that level and the rest of the team catches up. And so those conversations by the media, for example, the Lions are ranked number 30 by the NFL and the athletic and power rankings. Eagles are 25th and 26th, respectively. Do the players hear these conversations at all? Because we've heard about the Chicago bears, they had to turn off TVs in the locker room because Mitchell Trubisky was being trashed so so hard on ESPN. Is that something that can happen outside of Chicago, which we're not even going to worry about that? I I think in all aspects, you have to control the information that's flowing inside your locker room. And you don't want inconsistent ideas to come in from the media that start creating doubt that is not founded inside of the team, but created in the atmosphere of what's in the paper. And now you got the coaches responding and the players responding to some guy that really don't know nothing. He's just an armchair quarterback that actually might have had an editorial column that hit a nerve. But that doesn't make it the reality of what you have to live to. You know, so when players and coaches and organizations, you know, pay too much attention to the media, you'll find that those teams will make more mistakes now because, you know, they're really responding because they think this is what's going to make the fans respond. And, and and I would say that's that's been a problem with the Lions, even right now with how the Lions are trying to address some things uh ownership said that they want to be transparent and they want to be able to talk openly to the media and that, you know, she says she's not going to run and hide from the booze and all that. But the one thing that she never said is that she wants to be open and transparent with her current players and former players. But she wants to be open and transparent with the media and the fans. You know, that's that don't that's not what's going to win. She needs to be open and transparent with her players and then they will take care of the winning and then her fan shit will take care of itself. Well, so what what kind of conversations does she need to have then? Sorry for interrupting you there. Well, I, I think, first of all, she needs, which she may have had, you know, I'm sure she's came to the team and told them of the change and that they want to win and all that. But but here's one of the things that the Lions do that is it's insulting to the players. On no 
other team have I ever seen this done. The Lions doing their pregame will have the players line up, you know, well, their gatherers on the sideline in the area based on the NFL rules. But what they do is they put a rope up when the forwards are coming on the field almost like a pageant and the queen is walking by or driving by on the court and they're waving at the players and the fans. Now you have to understand that the players are not your fans. Okay. And that player appreciation would be felt more just by you simply stopping and shaking a player hand that you know you don't know who this player is. You don't know his name. You just know he played for you. That's how they visualize a whole bunch of players that are alumni players in jerseys. And they'll know Mike. They'll know uh, me. They'll know Barry. They'll know Eddie Murray. They'll know Lomas and a couple of But for the most part, if you wasn't a marquee player, you're just a number. But they create that separation as if you're not a part of her. You're not a part of the Lions because you have taken a rope to say that. And, and what's the irony is, is that it's only the area where the players that are roped. It's not a rope over on the other side. It's not a rope down there for the other side of the bench. And they'll drive her by. Well, Miss Ford, but they'll drive her by. And then she stops. And then they, the those that they allow to talk to her come talk to her. But all the rest of the players, they're looking at her like they looking like cattle looking on the outside of the fence. Like, wow, that green got a that pastor green over there. But it's little things like that that they don't even understand how insulting that is. No other owner does that. Look at any TV production. You go look at any game. You follow their own and you see if there's a, a, a rope that has their players corralled so that they can't walk up to the owner. Well, you see guys like Mark Davis and Al Davis, who you played for, they're yucking it up with the players. They're having a good time. Every owner. Jerry Jones, like, yeah. Every yeah. owner. Every owner, because it's their opportunity to also. But again, that goes to how, you know, if you working at Ford Motor Company and they have an executive office that because you might be a guy that's at a lower level, you can't even go up to that floor. Mm. Okay? But you might have a solution that saved the company $5 billion, but you're not allowed to go tell it to the decision maker. That's very similar how the lines are, you know, in terms of some of the information that they need to hear, they need to hear naturally from the player, not someone trying to interpret what they're saying so that they take back and put their spin on. You know, even and you could even look with 
Chris Spielman now being at the right hand of the owner has her ear, right? But there are things that Chris Spielman will see and things he will not see. So if he's not talking to other players to give him a well-rounded perspective, then he'll be like the others, making decisions in a vacuum, trying to get a team motivated that don't feel you're respecting us enough to even hear our opinion about what you're asking us to do. So he has to be careful too. Because sometimes when you're reporting to the owner, you tend to try to give the answer that they want. And this, William Clay Ford Sr. said this to me. And we were talking about information that was being given to him and how he trusted it. Because during this time, this is like in 1991, Mr. Ford allowed well me to establish a relation whereas I could talk to him directly. We would have meetings seven o'clock at night where he would leave come from Gross Point out to the Silver Dome at seven in the seven at night after practice and everybody's gone home and he and I would sit there and talk about some of the things that he wanted to ask questions about because I was bold enough to tell him the natural truth. And he said this to me. He said Jerry Sometimes they give me so much bad information or good information, they think that I get a toothache. That's how he described that he could sense the bullshit that he's been given. Just trying to please you know, the boss, right? To try to please the boss, all right? And, and, and they will never be able to turn that corner until they can hear from everyone. Do you think the Lions, and I use Ray Lewis as a perfect example, or I could use uh, Warren Sapp as an example, or I could use uh, Ed Reed as an example, or I could use a Michael Irvin as an example, but you know what connected with all of them? They all went to the University of Miami. They all won Super Bowl rings. They all were prominent on their teams. They all were a voice on their team, but they were some of the most aggressive men that you would have in any area. The Lions didn't create that type of um, want that they want a player that is going to be dominant enough, but also voice big enough that if you're bullshitting as the owner, general manager, or coach, it's going to be known because you have a Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, uh, Emmitt Smith, uh, Michael Irvin, that's challenging you. And they've never... I was really probably the first to really challenge him about winning championships, talking cha talking about championships. A lot of people used to say, man, you know, the Lions don't pay anybody. And I used to tell them, I say, but if we win, they would have to. <laughs> That's what I would tell them. If we win, they would have to. You know, and that was my approach. You know, let's win. That's going to take care of itself. 
And then the times that I held off with the Lions is because the Lions general manager, Chuck Smith, he, he made two statements to me. One was a racist statement, but I made him live to his words. And he told me, not the racist statement, but he told me this. He said, if you go to the Pro Bowl, we're going to tap your contract and redo it. And I went to the Pro Bowl and I made him live to those words. And I told Mr. Ford, I said, Mr. Ford, I signed that contract understanding this. He said, if I went, and Mr. Ford made him honor my contract. He made him honor those words, and they re-signed it. So in that regard, when Mr. Ford was getting real information, he would make a decision. I remember, I'm going to give you two instances, right? So when we were playing, and these are little things, and a lot of people don't pay attention to it, but these are little things, but they're big things. When I was playing with the Detroit Lions and stuff, in the wintertime, we would have to actually leave the Silver Dome and go get lunch. So it wasn't no Uber Eats. It wasn't none of that. It wasn't no restaurants right around the corner and stuff like that. We had to literally leave. And the team did not provide any meals. But on other teams, the teams was providing meals. That seems so strange. Yeah. So check. So I tell Mr. Ford, I said, you know, Mr. Ford, there's some things that's going on across the league. It's very hard for us to sit up and listen to other players tell us how they're being treated. And then you guys feel that you guys are treating us first class and you're really not. And he asked me, what did I mean? And I told him, I said, Mr. Ford, do you know we have to go get lunch? He, he didn't even have a clue that it was that type of scenario. So eventually they started serving us lunch because I was told, but he didn't know. This was another thing. So in the Silverdome, in the wintertime, we would have to park up the ramp at the same place where the fans would park for a game. So they had the ramp that we would have to walk down. So if it's snoring, sleeting, Blizzard don't matter. We got to walk up and down that ramp. So I was like, Mr. Ford, I said, reporters come here and they are no part of this organization and you guys allow them to park at the door. And we are the reason why they're here. And we have to park and walk. Mr. Ford made them cut into the heel of the ramp and create parking spots so that we could have parking closer to the door. Again, things that Chuck Smith and those others, they're not ever going to try to do any of that for us because they didn't care about accommodating and making it, whereas the players wasn't burdened. All right? But Mr. Ford cared, and he made those changes. And I'll give you another one. So one time, uh, this was when we were going to the playoffs and we were going to play the Washington Redskins and I had a chop block. And during that time, me and Mr. Ford probably got as close as any other time. And I was in his office one day and he said, well, Jerry, what else did, did you think I could do? I said, well, Mr. Ford, honestly, I said, when we travel, you know, like when we go out to the West Coast, you know, we'll fly a plane and it will be so overloaded that it feels like we're about to fall off the sky when we over the Rocky Mountains. And he's like, what? And it would be crazy because other teams would fly DC-10s. 
and we're flying a, a plane with the team, the media, and it's got three seats on one side and two on the other. So it's not even a, a big enough as a Southwest flight. So Mr. Ford allowed us to actually, <laughs> I ended up talking with the charter people at Northwest and they gave me a plane and a cost and I gave it to Mr. Ford. And when we left to go play, the Washington Redskins in that national NFC championship game, Mr. Ford made sure we traveled first class. And I'll never forget the day that I walked up there to the airport and all the players looking at me and they laughing. And I'm looking at them because I got my headphones like, what, what? As long as Brown comes up to me, he's like, boy, you, you got them hot around here today. And I'm like, what you mean? He said, look. And I looked out there and I see this big plane. I'm like, what? He said, look. I'm like, what? He said, that plane. I said, he said, yeah. Mr. Ford got us that big plane. He said, man, you got them hot around here. Now, it's not that I was doing anything against management. I was just telling Mr. Ford the things that other teams was doing that was making their players feel that they were appreciated. So from that perspective, based on how they choose to manage the situation now, it's almost – Mr. Ford is Mr. Ford. So we know that Mr. Ford is not someone you just run up on, right? Same with Mrs. Ford. Same with the current owner. So no guy is – out of their understanding of where they are. We've been in the environment, but the way that they do it, they make it where the, the former players feel that they're not a part. So when the active players see that, they already see how they're going to be treated. Or when a player like Calvin Johnson or a Lomas Brown or Barry Sanders, who've been stellar Pro Bowl players for them, and they leave and have a team when it comes to free agency, these other players are going to, well, oh, they didn't treat Calvin right. Why are they going to treat me right? You know, so those are just some things. And I know it's long-winded, but it just needed to be said. I wouldn't say it's long-winded at all. I think that was a lot of good information, getting a lot of things that people needed to hear, honestly. And you've talked about, the Detroit Lions being a feeder team for other teams. They grow the talent, their homegrown talent draft, and then they walk in free agency. And that has to be part of it is they see the mistreatment and they don't feel right. heard. And so, yeah, why would I stay? And how, how do you, when, how do you go to work when that's the situation? I, it's, I suppose different for you when you can talk well, to the owner, but even the GM you had, how do you go and work for someone like that? Can... Well, it's hard. It's hard. You know, I, I give you an example for myself. I'm actually active in the community, right? Mm -hmm. So that means I get a chance to meet the mayor and meet some of the same people. Well, some of these are the same people that's on the sports authority board that's making the decision on the stadium and the whole nine. And I'm getting them to do things that, you know, the Lions need. Okay, 
and I'm getting them to do it because I established a relationship, whereas the Lions was trying to just buffalo the city of Pontiac. And, and the mayor and the people there, they were like, we'll work with them, Jared. You know, why are they taking such a hard stance? Well, what it was is that they it was about buying the silver dome. I'll never forget this. And, you know, I got a price from the city of Pontiac for $65 million, The Lions built it for cheaper than that. Okay? And during that time, they were willing to give the Lions some of the revenue from the suites, which the Lions had no sweet revenue. Now, you say, well, Jerry, you a player. Why are you in that? I'm not in that. I'm in the Pontiac community doing community service. And I'm talking to the mayor and I'm talking to these council people that are telling me the issues. And I'm trying to tell them, man, it's a deal to be made. You guys just need to get in there. But again, it's one of those things where if the ownership don't get the information, they can't make the best decision. So the decisions get made with the administrators that's trying to keep information and they make the decision and then give him the choice of the decisions that they made. So it might be 10 choices, but hey, we aren't going to let three of them make it to the table. So now Mr. Ford heard three decisions versus 10, which is by design, though. Because it makes Because they don't. Yeah, well, they don't. Well, look at it like this you know, the type of people that they are, the type of lives that they are, you know, they don't have time to really sit down and micromanage everything. They don't. But there are some key things that they can instill in their program that has to do with how they treat their players, with how they respond to issues. Because a lack of response is a response. But they don't see it like that. Like the lack of response to Calvin Johnson is a response. The lack of response to Baron Sanders over years is a response. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. those are the things that they don't really associate and they just, you know, they figure they can weather it, you know? But in shit, I was drafted in 87. So in 30 years, the closest they got to a championship was when I was there. When they All were right? listening to the players. Well, we had a committee. It, it, I tell you what, it was so bad with how the decisions were being made that Wayne Fonts formed a committee with the players so that we could can, we could actually give them our thoughts as a committee so that this is what the team is asking for because it was that mismanaged by the Chuck Smiths of the world, you know? And every player didn't have the same issue. Like Chris Spielman, he didn't have the same issue that Barry, Calvin, and myself had when it's time to negotiate a contract. Chris contracts got done. You know, those, you know, there, there are things like that. Like, how does his contract is no problem? But then with Barry Sanders, mm -hmm. it's a problem. Why you do you know, feel Calvin, that is? Is there any reason? Well, well, I think it has a lot to do with um, the general manager. You know, the general manager, I, I feel, had some 
it ain't it ain't feel it's a fact you know that you know he he made a difference he, the way he he decided you know and and you know we can all get into he say she say and all that it's things that the man said to me that you know i wouldn't have never thought an anglo brother would have ever said to an african man you know and it wasn't talking about you know me it was talking about another teammate that wasn't an African-American. And I looked at him like, wow, this guy really is thinks I'm ignorant that he would talk like that to me. He think this shit is about race. This ain't got shit to do about race. This has to do with me being the best nose guard in the game. And I'm fighting two and three men. That means that I'm being underpaid for the job. And I'm here to tell you, hey, I, I I don't I don't like this, <clears throat> you know, but he made it whereas he wanted to make it like it was a race thing and it was not, you know, and then the way that he would poke at him, it, I, I, I tell you, if I remember when Mr. Ford's son, uh, William Jr. and I, we went and had dinner. This was Mr. Ford's last chance. Well, not last chance. This was Williams Jr., Bill Jr., chance to try to get me to stay and I stay we went and had dinner and things like that and the thing that I told him I said man with everything that you're telling me that in two years you're gonna is I still have to go back and work with this guy every day that I go to work I have to deal with him and he's taking shots at me and all kind of things so you know it was just best for me to move on at that time because I'm Michael Irvin in the locker room. I'm, you know, Ray Lewis in the micro room, in the locker room. I'm trying and pushing those that are meaty, that got mediocrity as the way that they're going to approach. No, we're going to win around here. You know, we're trying to win a championship, and that became the attitude, and we was drafting well. Mm -hmm. We was drafting well, so we had a chance, and we just needed to get some of that old blood out with people that had been there 10 years that was complacent with the way that they played and it didn't matter whether or not they won or not, they was happy to be on the team and catch a check, you know? But anyway. Yeah, that's quite awful, and I'm I'm very sorry that was some of your experience. Well, well it, it, it's not just me. It was others' experience. You know, I, I being a person that will talk about it doesn't mean that I hate the Lions. I don't. I love the Lions. Of course. I of love course. the Lions more than the Lions love me. The only problem is, is that they don't know that because they've never stopped to talk into the real nature of things. There are things that Mr. Ford, that I could tell his daughter right now, that would allow her to know how well I know how her father thought and what he wanted for that team to the point that she would understand why Chuck Smith and the general manager would have a problem with me because I had direct access to the owner and I understood what his objective was and how he wanted to approach it. That's fact. And sometimes egos just get in the way, and that's intimidating. It was all ego. And, and here's the other thing, too. The NFL is not used to many players being able to be confident enough that they can do something else than play football. 
Most football players are locked in into the profession because of the simple fact this is what they wanted to do, they've trained, and they want to do. But it gets to a point, too, for those of us that have prepared ourselves that we can make a choice, all right? And because I can play football, but I also know that I can go over here and still do well enough to take care of my family, I was willing to go do that. You know, I owned my first business at 18 years old, whereas I actually had a contract with Georgetown Steel, Southern Pacific Railroad, where my family had a 32-year-old business where we actually did all of the make-ready and cleaning of the rail cars before it went into the refineries and the steel yards. 32 years, that was my business. I had no problem in being able to go to work and take care of my family. So I wasn't worried about a job like most players would be. What am I going to do now because you're not playing football? That No, nah, that's not how it was. I got all my strength from working. So the Lions had a different guy with me, you know. So that, that was a big difference. They wasn't used to that. No, I, I can't only imagine. And it sounds like they need more of that more people willing to tell them how it is and maybe start reaching back out to those former players and prove, Hey, this is a new organization. It actually is different now. It's necessary. I I do believe that they should do that. And, and, and honestly, the one thing that is true is that I know they don't know. I know they don't because the things that they repeatedly do shows that they don't know how to respond to adversity and they don't know how to address certain things that are critical thinking issues that would make that organization a hundred percent better, you know, and, and it's not, but it's also not just with the lines, it's with the league as a whole, you know, and, and it makes it better for all. And, and it's not a black white thing. You know, it's really about humanity, you know, truly about humanity. Treating players like people instead of cogs in the machine, having well, those conversations. It, it, it is what it is, you know what I mean? You know, but the better prepared that a player is, you know, the stronger it is he can take in his own position. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I the, so a lot of things that needed to be said for sure. And a lot of things that people needed to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to, you know, dog on them, but I, you know, just telling you that some of the mistakes that they've made, some of the things that traditionally that the lions, like the lions traditions, they, they don't even know how to build on those, you know? And most of it is because in some cases they've, you know, spoil the relationship that can't get others to participate. You know, but anyway, do you think God be the glory? Do you think this weekend with Chris Spielman and having the Hall of, or sorry, the Alumni Weekend? Do you think that with the Ring of Honor is the first step towards that, or to be determined? And we can't tell; it's too early. Well, I think it's to be determined. You know, the few guys that I spoke with, they feel that, you know, it's definitely something that they expected would happen. But they do feel that they didn't do it justice because 
you know, it's being done during the alumni week, but it's really not much participation from the guys that were with him. It's kind of like they, it's a way that they're doing it that's honoring him, but it would have been good to have the guys that actually were on the field with him honor him. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah, so that absolutely. It's, it's inclusive. You know, now, could it be the catalyst? Yes, for ideas to start coming in that we can do some things better and to see what the retired players can do with the organization to help. Because, you know, I remember one time the uh, organization and I had a conversation and I was telling them, why don't you use the retired players to go into the elementaries and the secondary schools to introduce the kids to the Lions as an organization, but through some community service aspect, I said, and what happens then is that the kids first experience with a professional athlete in the Jersey will be such an impression that they pretty much have become a lion from a child going forward until they see something different. I said, but that would be a great experience for a kid and, you know, go forward. They didn't see that that's being necessary. I said, no, don't use the active players. Use your retired players. Those are the guys that have time. Let them go do it. Then connect. So one time there was, you know, a group of retired players there in Detroit that um, had giving out some turkeys during Thanksgiving and they had wore their jerseys and, you know, it might've came from the league, but the Lions, you know, person called the player that was one of the coordinators and asked them what were they doing? And he told them, Hey, well, we were giving turkeys out on Thanksgiving and things like that. So it got some news coverage where they told them that they didn't want them to wear their jerseys. Really? Now, yeah. Now think about that. Yeah. Think about that. Here I am as a retired player, as an example, if I was saying I was doing that. I wore this jersey as a player, and it's my personal jersey, and I'm doing charity work, and you're telling me that I can't do it because television said former Detroit Lions, Jerry Ball, and others were out giving turkeys away, and and it looked like it was the Lions team doing it. Well, that's that's the irony of the hypocrisy, because here's the deal. If Jerry Ball was to be drinking anywhere in America and I get a DUI and they know who I am, ESPN going to run, former NFL player, former Detroit Lion, former Raider, Former, so they gonna identify me with a team, mm-hmm. and then say Jerry Ball was stopped you know, under the suspicion of driving under the influence. We will move, but that's a bad story, and you will accept that. But then over here, I'm doing something good, and because it's something you didn't control, but I'm identified as a Detroit Lion. You want me not to do it. And you're talking about goodwill and service. Especially when it's it's good. It's free publicity in a good sense. Listen, here's the facts. 
if you recognize most of what you see in the charitable aspects of what's actually being done in each NFL city, you'll see that it's really the players doing it and the actual teams are getting an identifiable mark of saying Texan, Lion, such and such is doing this. But the teams aren't doing that. Those players are doing that. And they're being identified through the teams. And because of goodwill, that association works for the team and the player. But in this particular case, the Lions took exception and told them that they shouldn't, didn't want them to wear their jerseys if they did that again, which is out of line because a basic fan can put on a jersey and go hand out anything. Yeah. It, it, I, it mind-blowing truly mind-blowing it, it is but those are some of the things again that i'm sure the owner don't get involved in that's a mid-level management deal that either the nfl made a comment and told them to go do it but it's something that was you know easily avoided <laughs> or either that or it's some mid-level employee like, oh, this makes me look bad because I didn't organize it. Exactly. So now I've got to come exactly. out of you. And it, exactly. Man. That's how it came off. A lot of people just want the spotlight on them when the story is these Detroit Lions are involved in the community still because they love Detroit, love being a Lion. Just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. And hopefully that's something that can change going forward with this New well, it, it, it will. It will because I believe that, you know, the new ownership, they're trying to find their way to it. You know, that's the good other thing. Sometimes you don't see no movement in ownership. At least there, she's trying, you know, give her a chance. She got a new team. She got a new administrative system. I hope that Chris can be open to hearing a well-rounded perspective and don't get entrenched in his own belief system so that he can give her modern world things to address. Not, you know, how we addressed it in the 70s and the 80s that was our foundational learning years, and that's who we became. These guys' foundational learning years are different. So you need to be able to communicate to them different. And that's what I think is, you know, one of the biggest bridges too, is knowing that how to how to communicate. Sounds like Chris Spielman and the Detroit Lions need to have a conversation with Jerry Ball, Lomas Brown, and all these other legends of the game and take it to heart and start listening. Well, I would welcome it, you know, whether or not it would mean anything to them, but I would definitely share that. I wouldn't be shy of that. And and they know that. I'm sure they know that. (laughs) We'll make sure that they know that. And we'll, uh, we'll try and the the nice thing about this, Jerry has a voice now and he can get these thoughts out. Hey, well, well, I'm thankful, you know, either way, I just know that as a player and that's played for that organization, the fans deserve a championship and the ownership deserves a championship. Love that. That's the perfect way to kind of wrap this discussion up on. We want the best for Detroit. 
We believe in the Detroit Lions, so let's make it happen. And that starts this Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. And so before we head out, we've got to get your prediction on this game, Jerry. You know, the like I said, the under right now is about three and a half, but I'm going with Detroit. I feel like this is the week that they can get them a win. The defensive line going to have to contain Jalen Hurt and going to have to block you know, Fletcher Cox, and, and hopefully he is a non-factor. But I think, you know, Jared, if he's given the right opportunities to win and then play as well as he did last week where he didn't make many mistakes, made a couple, but none that really bared him, they got a chance of winning this game and they get their first victory. Woo! I completely yeah. agree. 27-23 for the Detroit Lions is my final score. 27-23, oh, man, I was thinking somewhere around 21-19. That close. Detroit. I, I, I guess 27-23, that, that is a four-point game. I, I, probably yeah. a field goal game at most. You're, I think you, you might be right there. But we'll see what happens. We're excited for it. And so on that note, any final thoughts, Jerry? Hey, go Lions, baby. Let's get them. And congratulations, Chris. Much deserving. Let's go, Lions. Congrats, Chris. And make sure you check out Real Talk with Jerry Ball. Make sure you like and subscribe to Believe in Lions. And on that note, are you ready to break it down, Jerry? Yes, sir. One, two, three. We We believe. believe. Peace. I believe. I believe. I believe. I love the Lions. Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.